What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Good evening, I'm Jim Acosta. Joining me in moments, presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, whose name showed up in a Ron DeSantis debate memo as the rival to attack on the stage. He'll respond to that and more in just a few moments. But first, in 958 days, the date on the calendar will be April 2026. That's two years, seven months from now. That's nearly a year and a half after the 2024 election and just a year and a half before the 2028 election. And yet, Donald Trump and his lawyers are suggesting that date for his trial in the federal case uh, on his efforts to overturn the election. It's their counter to Jack Smith's proposal to start this January. Meantime, the former president, in his first on-camera reaction to the Georgia indictment, has a warning to his party. Disgraceful thing. And Republicans can't get, let him get away with it. The Republicans have to be tough. The Republicans are great in many ways, but they don't fight as hard for this stuff, and they have to get a lot tougher. And if they don't, they're not going to have much of a Republican Party. Well, they haven't been very tough on Donald Trump. And one of the Republicans who is defending Trump is Vivek Ramaswamy. And today, a memo from Ron DeSantis' super PAC laid out some advice for the Florida governor ahead of next week's debate. Among the suggestions, defend Donald Trump, but, quote, take a sledgehammer to Ramaswamy. And joining me now is the candidate mentioned in that memo, Vivek Ramaswamy. He's giving a speech at the Nixon Library tonight. Uh, Welcome, uh, Mr. Ramaswamy. Appreciate you joining us. It's good to see you, Jim. How are you? I'm good. Hey, let's get right to this. A pro-DeSantis super PAC, I'm sure you've seen this, has posted documents online that show uh, DeSantis's upcoming debate strategy. And that includes not only attacks uh, on President Biden, uh, as well as media, but instructions to, quote, hammer Ramaswamy. Are you preparing to be hammered? You know, I, I have been prepared for that for a lot of my life, and I'm prepared to take that on. The truth is I'm an outsider in this race, and I think that that is threatening a lot of the professional politicians, understandably. A guy like me is not supposed to be in this race, according to their book. I'm approaching my debate strategy a little bit differently. I think many times if you don't have a message, you look to attack other candidates. I'm preferring to stand for my own message, asking the question, what are we running to? And I think if we're guided by that purpose, the attacks from the other candidates are not going to stop me. And the latest Fox polling shows you've gained ground, uh, more ground uh, since June than any other candidate. Why are you gaining ground while candidates like Ron DeSantis are struggling to catch on? I think the reality is I'm unconstrained in speaking the truth. There are many forces that work in both political parties, in the establishment of the Democrat Party and the Republican Party alike, that constrains what candidates can actually say. A lot of that comes from the donor class. In the Republican Party, you have a lot of super PAC puppets. I'm not one of them. I am a patriot who speaks the truth. I am independent. I am putting my own money into this campaign precisely to avoid taking a tin can with a hat in hand, asking a bunch of donors for permission to run. And I think that's a very different model from many of the other professional politicians in this race. And the good news is voters across our country, in our base, they can tell the difference between somebody who's actually sharing their own convictions versus somebody who's parroting off talking points served up to them 15 minutes or 
15 days before a debate. I think the reality is also the message of my campaign is resonating. Shut down the administrative state. Declare independence from China. Grow the economy. Revive national pride. Revive our national identity itself. We as conservatives, we can't just be complacent with criticizing the radical Biden agenda. That's boring. It's trite at a certain point in time. We have to stand for a vision of our own. And I think I'm the only candidate who's actually offering that. I think that's a big part of why we've been successful. Well, well you've got a big uh, test uh, coming up with next week's debate. And, and eight candidates, including yourself, have met the uh, donor and polling threshold uh, for that debate. Uh, you've signed the loyalty pledge. Uh, former President Donald Trump has refused to sign the pledge. Are you OK with Trump getting special treatment? Uh, shouldn't he have to play by the rules? I expect Trump to be on that debate stage later this fall, and I expect him to play by the same set of rules of everybody else. But I am fine with him missing the first couple of debates. He's been on that debate stage many times over. Heck, he was president for four years. For me, this is an opportunity to introduce myself to the country. I'm looking forward to that. Many people don't yet know who I am or don't really know certainly very well who I am. And so that's the opportunity I'm looking forward to. I do expect President Trump to show up down the line, but I think it's fair game for him to miss the first couple. What if he doesn't sign that pledge, just refuses to sign it? Does he get a pass on that? Look, I think, well, look, I think if that's a condition to make the debate stage, then I think he's going to sign that pledge to make the debate stage. But the reality is, I believe he's waiting, based on his public comments at least, it seems like he's waiting for a smaller field. So I look forward to being on that debate stage with him. But for now, I'm focused on the path to next Wednesday. I'm in eight states in the period heading up to between now and the debate stage. But I'm looking forward to introducing myself to the people of this country and hopefully drawing some important policy contrasts from the rest of the field. I think this is an important moment for the GOP to stop obsessing over the who. There's been so much obsession over Donald Trump or somebody else. Forget the who for a second. Let's first focus on who we are, but what do we stand for and why we stand for it. That's a discussion we actually haven't had in the GOP for a very long time. And I think this debate stage is actually going to be good for the evolution of our party, really defining our agenda rather than devolving into biographical brawls, even though certain other candidates say Ron DeSantis and his super PAC want him to go the direction of the biographical brawl. I prefer to go in the direction of substance, answering what we stand for and why. That's what's going to make our party stronger. Well, I think the former president is going to come up at the debate, whether he's there or not. And he's now facing his fourth criminal indictment, this time in Georgia on forgery, false statements, election fraud and racketeering charges. You have said that these are political or politicized prosecutions, uh, politicized persecutions through prosecution. Um, let, let's listen to what his former attorney general is saying about this. People who defend him say um, that he genuinely did feel that he was robbed and this was the good fight and the proper fight. Well, even if he did, right. and I am dubious about that, but even if he believed that, that doesn't mean you can use illegal means to rectify it. If you think the bank is unfairly keeping your money, there are many things you can do to get it back. You can't go and rob the bank. Yeah, what's your response to the former attorney general? Look, I think there are deep legal flaws with this case. I'm talking to you from the Nixon Presidential Library, where I'm delivering a speech later tonight. We'll look at Nixon versus Fitzgerald. This is something that the press has altogether ignored. A president's acts while in office are something that he actually enjoys immunity for other than through the impeachment process. So if he believes, even incorrectly, that he was looking after election fraud, that alone could be a defense. 
I also think there are deep due process failures. Let's start with the fact that they actually, Fulton County, publicly posted the charges of the indictment even before the grand jury had signed them. That's a grave, prosecutorial, bushy-tailed, overexcited mistake. That's a due process violation that itself could be grounds for a motion to dismiss. We also have to look at this prosecution in the context of the fact that there are three others, now four prosecutions in a series of months, all convening around a presidential election that sets a god-awful precedent, Jim, for this country. We do not want to become a nation where the party in power uses multiple different legal cases at the same time, pushing untested novel legal theories to knock out its opposition in the middle of a presidential election. That is not how we do things in the United States of America. And I say this as somebody who in many national polls is now polling second. It would be easier for me if Donald Trump were eliminated from competition. That is not how I want to win. I stand on the but side there have of been principle, four different, not politics. There are now four different when I indictments. When we need to you unite this country. Yeah, let, let me jump in. There have been four different indictments. You, you don't think he's committed any crimes in any of these indictments? I don't think any of the indictments have demonstrated that he committed a crime. No. And I've written on the pages of The Wall Street Journal and elsewhere wearing a technical legal hat. And you and I can go into that detail if you're Refusing interested. Refusing to return but classified documents? But I think these are clearly politically motivated. Well, let's just take that one as an example. That indictment made zero mention of the Presidential Records Act, the most recently passed act that relates to a president, including an outgoing president's access to documents. The fact that this is a 49-page indictment, that one was, that was silent on that fact, reveals smacks of politicization. I also think that the fact that they use the Espionage Act, one of the most un-American acts in U.S. history that has been used to round up anti-war activists, that was used to lock up Eugene V. Debs when he ran right, for president. Right, but do you think it's okay to have the classified documents? Uh, you it's think wrong. it's okay for you, you to have classified documents laying around the Ramaswamy household? No, it's not. But I think that there's a difference between a bad judgment and a crime. And the Presidential yeah. Records Act expressly well, they gives came to him the U.S. President access to the documents back and he didn't return them. Uh, he, they asked for the documents back. Again, and I would have made very different judgments. Yeah. Look, I'll remind, I mean, Jim, I am running in the same race that Donald Trump is. So I'm not, I'm not saying that every judgment he made was the same judgment I would make. In fact, it wasn't. But that is different from charging it as a crime, which I think sets an awful precedent in our country. If you want to get a little but in the federal election it, Jim, case, he lied about the election. He tried to overturn the election results. Why not call him out for that as well? I will it, remind you. Well, I will remind you the Supreme Court's precedent in Alvarez, a 2012 case, which held that public officials, including politicians, have a First Amendment right to lie, to tell the truth, to even make statements they didn't believe, let alone the fact that there isn't a shred of evidence to suggest that Trump didn't even believe his own claims. And so we can get into the legal technical details all we want. That's going to happen in the courtroom. But as a matter of judgment, as somebody who is right. running to and expects to be the next president of the United States, my top job is to reunite this country. And my way of doing that is going to be to pardon Donald Trump on day one and to pardon really anybody else who was also the victim of a politically motivated persecution through prosecution. We have to move forward as a country. But, and I think this sets a dangerous precedent unless we actually pardon. But Mr. Ramaswamy, you just said you want to wait for all the details, the technical details to come out at trial. But you're declaring beforehand that you would pardon him. Why not listen for the, uh, the facts well, to come I, I out at say trial that I to, I, and then I make that determination? I'm saying it based on one assumption. The assumption is that the statements in each of the indictments 
are the most prosecution favorable statements we're going to get. Any legal scholar would tell you that is a fair assumption. In any case, the prosecution always puts up its strongest foot in the indictment itself. We haven't even heard from the defense. So, yes, if there are gaping surprises that come up, I mean, there's zero evidence to suggest that Trump was selling those secrets to foreign adversaries for private gain. But if those facts come up, of course, I would revisit my judgment. But the fact of the matter is the prosecution obviously makes the most aggressive statement of its case in the indictment. And assuming that's the case here, as it is in any other case, I will absolutely pardon Trump on day one, January 20th, 2025, when I'm in office. Would you pardon Trump's other alleged co-conspirators in both the documents and the election cases? It depends on how the facts match up to the law. I mean, you take about the documents case. There are special features of the law that apply to a U.S. president. Literally, the Presidential Records Act treats past U.S. presidents. But why, the law why say you would pardon Trump on day one, but not? But why? Why say you're going to pardon Trump on day one, but not the? Not make that kind of blanket promise to the alleged co-conspirators. Shouldn't they get that kind of? Uh, I am favorably same pardon offer. I'm favorably inclined. I, I'm favorably inclined to do it. But right now, I'm a competitor against Donald Trump in this primary, and I want to be very clear on the side of principle. Though it's against my interest in this race, that's why I think, in the interest of uniting this country, it is especially important to be clear about that fact. I expect to maybe making tens of pardons on day one. I think there are countless Americans who have been the victims of politically motivated persecutions through prosecution. Peaceful protesters on January 6th, January 6th defendants who actually have had constitutional due process violations. Julian Assange is someone I've specifically identified as somebody I would absolutely pardon. Ross Ulbricht, Douglas Mackey, others. But I think that the only way we're going to move forward as a country, there can be no reconciliation without truth. We have to put that past behind us. And my top job is going to be to heal the wounds of this nation to lead us forward. Because even look at the conversation. Pardoning Trump is going to heal the wounds. Pardoning Trump is going to heal the wounds of the nation. I do. I do think it will be a step towards healing the wounds of the nation. I think there are deep wounds in this country that are the consequence of systematic censorship. The weaponization of police force to accomplish political goals through the justice system. That is wrong. This is not an easy project ahead for the next president. I am in this race because I do see a lot of candidates on both sides motivated by vengeance and grievance. I am motivated by leading this nation forward. And the way we're going to do it is by restoring one standard of the rule of law for all Americans, restore the integrity of the justice system, and leave politics to politics. The people of this country should decide who the next president is. They're free to take into account all of the information that has been laid out by left-wing media, right-wing media, et cetera, to make their decisions. If they what didn't think Trump? Donald Trump made good decisions, then they should take that into account when voting him out. But that is what not about, the basis about Trump? for a prosecution. What about Trump making these threats and, and making these kinds of uh, inflammatory comments about the judge, about uh, the special counsel, uh, and so on, in some of these cases? Uh, do you defend that? Should he knock that off? So. I- I'm not familiar with the specific nature of which inflammatory comment you're referring to or not. He's clearly deeply aggrieved by the fact that he's being prosecuted through four separate cases that have arisen at the same time in the middle of an election. Again, from my vantage point, I would make very different judgments and would have made very different judgments than Donald Trump. But that is a different point than saying this should be criminalized. That's where I'm at. So I'm not in this to if defend I, he, he says, I'm coming Trump after or anybody you, else. I'm in this to me. defend the nation. 
But, but you've heard him say, you've heard how he said, uh, I'm coming after you if you come after me. I mean, you've heard that, correct? Is that appropriate? I mean, if he, if he means that he's going to file a motion, if he means he's going to file a motion to dismiss, then he should absolutely file a motion to dismiss, which I think will be very embarrassing for the prosecutor and frankly, very embarrassing for the but entire that law enforcement apparatus. That. If that's you, indeed you granted. But you don't think that's what I he means refer- when he says I, that. I'm going to be very honest with you. I have, I have not, you've clearly, studied, the, you've clearly studied every word. Look, I'm going to be very honest with you, Jim. I have not read the specific tweet or social media post that you're referring to. I'm running for president. I'm looking at reviving our economy and declaring independence from China. I'm not parsing every social media post from every one of my other candidates. But broadly speaking, my whole point is there's a difference between a bad judgment and a crime. And the moment that we conflate a lot of crimes start with bad judgments. That is the moment that we have a threat to liberty. Yeah. Well, that's okay, But if you actually have to have committed a crime to be prosecuted for one. So making a very bad judgment as a politician, that's a basis for a voter to make a decision. But that's how we've got to do things in the United States of America. We have to let the people of this country decide who actually runs the country, not a federal administrative police state. And I just think that sets a dangerous and deeply problematic precedent in this country. And that is why I've been so vocal against it. That is why I'm clearly committed to pardoning Donald Trump if he is convicted. But you, but you said earlier you would wait for the facts to come out. If there are some big surprises, you may, you may reconsider that. My assumption is that the worst statement of the facts, the most prosecution version, favorable version of the facts, is in the indictment. In 99.9% of legal cases, that's exactly how it works in the United States. And I said that on day one when I made my commitment that that was my assumption. Let's talk about China. You, you talked about China. Um, you proposed to uh, radio host uh, Hugh Hewitt this week that the U.S. should help Taiwan uh, deter a Chinese invasion until the U.S. has achieved, quote, uh, semiconductor independence. Uh, does it really serve our long term interest to say we support territorial integrity until a country is no longer no longer useful to us? I think that moving from strategic ambiguity to strategic clarity is actually a good thing for the United States to both advance our interests and to avoid war, as well as to be a more trusted partner. I don't think it's credible when we make hollow proclamations to defend democracy or to defend territorial sovereignty as a principle when in fact we choose that principle selectively anyway. I think it's far more credible for us to be honest, to say that I will, as the next US president, I stand for advancing American interests, period. That allows other nations to actually trust us. Just as we can trust them to follow their self-interest, they can trust us to follow ours. But Move are you sending a signal that an allied... or liberal hegemony. But are you sending a signal that an allied democracy Please. could be taken over by another power just because they're no longer making something that we need? Well, let's get real, Jim. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is our current posture towards Taiwan is that the U.S. embraces the one China policy in the status quo. The standard protocol is a U.S. president isn't even supposed to pick up a phone call from the leader of Taiwan. In fact, when Trump did it, they laughed at him as though he was an outsider rube. And so the reality is that line of reasoning that somehow you're now going to call them an allied nation selectively to push back on my vision of strategic clarity is just a farce and betrays exactly what our current posture is in the first place. What I'm bringing to our foreign policy is honesty that will advance our interests. I'm moving from strategic ambiguity to be strategically very clear that we will defend Taiwan until we achieve semiconductor independence. I expect that to happen by the end of my first term, by 2028. But then China can have Taiwan. Is that necessarily will change? 
But th- then well, China can to have be clear, Taiwan. After that, by being clear, not necessarily. What that really means is Taiwan, between now and then, can actually spend what it should be spending on national defense. Taiwan spends less than 2% of GDP on its military. That is shameful. Taiwan needs to be spending over 4% of its own GDP. But by being strategically clear, we give Taiwan a chance to build up its own defense capabilities. And China will also know that it is absolutely not in China's interest, not any rational actor in China would want to make that move before 2028. In the meantime, what am I going to do? Achieve semiconductor independence for our nation and also build up our own homeland defense capabilities. That's something that's badly lacking. Super EMP defenses, cyber defenses, nuclear missile defenses. But if we're at that point by 2028, along with semiconductor independent, then no, I don't expect to want to send my sons, our sons and daughters in this country to die to fight over somebody else's territorial dispute. And I think that that's exactly what this Chinese civil war dating back to 1949 was all about. There are two reasons why China might go after Taiwan. One is to lord over an economic gun over the United States. I refuse to let that happen. But a second is sorting out business dating back to 1949 between Chiang Kai-shek and Mao Zedong. That's not something that I'm going to send our sons and daughters to settle. And you've also suggested that Vladimir Putin be allowed to keep parts of Ukraine as part of a uh, as far, part of a way to solve uh, that conflict. Um, what if he wants parts of Poland? You leave next? out the what most important part of that deal. More of Ukraine next. <laughs> you, you, Aren't you letting some you of these authoritarian the leaders of the deal off the What hook? actually advances? Far from it. I think that the Biden administration is so stubbornly attached to the idea of getting Xi Jinping to drop Vladimir Putin. What I think we need to be doing is get Vladimir Putin to drop Xi Jinping. Just like Nixon went to China in 1972, I think Putin is like the new Mao. I will visit Moscow and I will pull Russia out of its military alliance with China. The Russia-China military alliance is the single greatest military threat that we face today. Hypersonic missile capabilities, nuclear capabilities in Russia, far ahead of us or China. A naval capacity in China ahead of ours, combined with an economy that we depend on for our modern way of life. Those two nations are in a military alliance with one another, and nobody in either political party is talking about it. Worst of all, our engagement in Ukraine is further driving Russia into China's arms. So my foreign policy centers on weakening that alliance. That you advances let, American but you interests. Would let Putin have that parts is how of Ukraine. we actually secure peace. But you would let Putin I have would parts of Ukraine. Freeze the current lines. I would, I would freeze the current lines of control, and that would leave parts of the Donbas region with Russia. I would also further make a commitment that NATO will not admit Ukraine to NATO. But there are even greater wins that I will that get from the United like a win States for in Putin. return. The top of the list. No, what we, our goal should not be for Putin to lose. Our goal should be for America to win. That's what we have forgotten in this country is that. Driving Russia into the ground is not a U.S. strategic goal. A U.S. strategic goal is to secure peace and prosperity for Americans. And so, you know what? I do think many of those military resources being used to protect against an invasion across somebody else's border halfway around the world should be used to protect against the invasion across our own southern border right here at home. And in the meantime, yes, we need to pull Russia apart from China instead of driving Russia further into China's hands. And I think that we have a foreign policy establishment in both parties, frankly, Republican Party and Democratic Party alike, that behaves as though we're in still in the Cold War of the last century, forgetting that the USSR does not exist anymore and that the real threat we face today is communist China, which is that much stronger when Vladimir Putin is in Xi Jinping's camp. 
All right, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. All right, coming up next, we'll dissect the Trump team's proposal to delay their election trial until 2026. Yes, 2026. Plus, Trump is now calling off the event he teased to presumably push more election lies. Also, emotions high inside a courtroom after a judge declared a mistrial in the case of two white men who shot at a black FedEx driver here. Why? And I'll speak with the driver coming up uh, live in just a few moments. Stay with us. Just hours after Donald Trump's fourth criminal indictment was announced in Fulton County, Georgia, the former president promised to present a, quote, large, complex and detailed report, unquote, on voter fraud in the state at a press conference next Monday. But tonight, Donald Trump is saying the press conference is not happening after all. He posted this uh, this evening saying, quote, rather than releasing the report on the rigged and stolen Georgia 2020 presidential election on Monday, his words, My lawyers would prefer putting this, I believe, irrefutable and overwhelming evidence of election fraud and irregularities, his words, in formal legal filings. Of course, uh, that is not true. Most of that is not true. The election was neither rigged nor stolen. It comes shortly after sources told CNN his original announcement caught several of his own lawyers off guard. Also tonight, Trump's lawyers are presenting their proposed date for a trial in the election interference uh, case in April, three years from now. Joining me now to talk about this is former January 6th investigative counsel, uh, Marco, uh, Marcus Childress. Uh, Marcus, good to see you. Thanks for, for being here. Thanks for having uh, me. This, uh, this uh, trial proposal that they're talking about, April 2026, yeah. what did you think of that? So you can tell a lot about how a defense feels about a case by where they want to schedule that trial. Uh, as a prosecutor, when you move forward with indictment, you're ready to go to trial at that point, or you should be ready to go to trial. And defense counsel can take one or two approaches. They can rush you to trial to call your bluff so you can't further corroborate that evidence or, or develop additional evidence, or they can slow roll it to trial. And I think that's what we're seeing from the Trump team is clearly slow rolling it till 2026. Um, yeah. And the other thing that uh, they, I guess, may be pushing back, uh, it sounds like his lawyers are talking him down from this Monday press conference. Maybe yeah. we won't get a press conference of what he was uh, proposing. What does it say that uh, he's not doing this press conference anymore? What so do you think? I, I think and, a lot he, of, and he's saying that, well, we're going to put it in, le- in legal filings. <laughs> well, I think his lawyers, I, I, I'm sure they're checking to make sure it's actually true before they put in a legal filing before the court, right? That's probably their primary concern. Uh, but this has been consistent. But none of it's true. <laughs> this is just, yeah. that, but this has been the primary thought for our, the thing with Donald Trump is that uh, he doubles down on the election fraud. We saw it uh, leading up to January 6th. We saw it after January 6th. It's been detailed in reports, and it's a big part of the, the mental mind state of what the special counsel alluded to and alleged, and also what the Georgia prosecutor, the Fulton County prosecutor, also alleged. And so this is something that I'm sure his lawyers don't want him out doing because we've seen false statement charges pressed against him for his comments. And uh, I'll be curious to see if this actually ends up in a legal filing because, again, you can't make false statements to the court as an attorney. Yeah, the lawyers might want to watch out. One of the constants in in this entire Trump legal saga is lawyers needing lawyers uh, on on his behalf. And and CNN has now identified nearly all of the 30 unindicted co-conspirators in Georgia. It's not just uh, fringe figures. We're talking about elected figures um, as well. You had such great insights into what took place on January 6th, being a part of the investigative team up on Capitol Hill. You had so many conversations with a lot of these Trump allies and aides and so on. Why did they get involved in all this? Why did they do this sort of thing? I mean, some of them are ending up as indicted co-conspirators. Right. I mean, it shows the power of Trump's words and just 
how powerful he has, the control he has over this orbit. Uh, one of the main challenges for us was always trying to figure out who was actually cooper or conspiring with the president versus who was just acting off of his words. And I think what we've learned from the Fulton County indictment as well as the special counsel's indictment is who was actually working with uh, Trump's inner nucleus, his inner circle. Uh, it's hard to know why these individuals who... Did you paper, ever hear any reasons, any rationale? Or- I, I think before the committee, folks would be willing to tell you that they actually believe that the election was, was filled with fraud. Um, we know that from the indictment, the allegations not to be true. They were told repeatedly by election lawyers and campaign folks that it wasn't true that there was fraud. Uh, it's hard to actually try to figure out the logic behind why these folks have risked legal trouble uh, over what is clearly uh, lies, the big lie that has led to all this. All right, Marcus Childress. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Appreciate the perspective. Thanks for having me. Uh, In the meantime, threats against grand jurors and a federal judge. The dangers facing civil servants on Trump cases is getting more worrisome. I'll speak with a judge who lost her son in a target attack on her home two years ago. That's next. Judges and now jurors are under threat tonight. Far-right sites posting the names, pictures, and even addresses of the grand jurors in Donald Trump's Georgia indictment. And it's not just jurors. A woman is charged with threatening to kill Judge Tanya Chutkin, who's overseeing one of Trump's cases. She also called the judge a, quote, stupid slave N-word and said, if Trump doesn't get elected in 2024, we are coming to kill you, so tread lightly. My next guest is unfortunately familiar with all of this. In July 2020, U.S. District Court Judge Esther Salas was targeted by a men's rights lawyer. The lawyer came to her home where he shot and killed her 20-year-old son, Daniel. Her husband was also seriously injured. And Judge Esther Salas joins me now. Judge, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. I'll just get right to it. Um, As you know, these threats against the grand jurors and judges are incredibly alarming. Are you worried uh, that something like what happened to you and your family could happen to them? I worry about that all the time. That's probably one of the reasons that Mark, my husband, and I have not stopped uh, since we started really this journey to try to ensure that all judges at every level of government are safe. So yeah, to answer your question, you always worry about the safety of a colleague, especially when, you know, the rhetoric and and the words just seem to get more, you know, inflamed, if you will. And we seem to, to, to throw words around without really thinking about what they mean. You know, words matter. How we treat each other, it matters. Um, and, and the value of life, we know only too well. It matters since we lost our only child on July 19, 2020. Words do matter. And and to that point, Judge, uh, last week, uh, as you know, former President Trump posted on his social media site, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. I guess, what did you think of that rhetoric? Do you think rhetoric like that is fueling these threats? You know, I like to think about the problems that we have right now, which is not only the physical uh, violence against judicial officers and the threats of physical violence. You know, you also, you, I'm also concerned about the language that is being used by our leaders, both on the right and left. Um, when we question the justice system, when we start to, you know, uh, 
perpetuate false narratives about judges being in cahoots with conspiracies, that really feeds into the third major issue that I'm concerned about is that we're, you know, eroding the public's trust in our justice system. This country is you know, founded on the Constitution and democracy. And when we take these actions so carelessly, both on the right and left, we are doing some serious damage to our country and to democracy and to the Constitution at large. And I, I wonder, uh, Judge, how close do you think uh, Trump has gotten to the line? Um, has he crossed the line uh, in terms of breaking the rules you know, of his release? You know, I, I'm more focused, Mr. Acosta, on talking about what we all can start trying to do at every level, even the level of, you know, your, you know, you and I, how we talk to one another, the civility, uh, the way that we choose to treat each other, the value of human life. You know, I, I rather than talking about that, I, I, I want to focus on really challenging our leaders and everyone on down to start speaking to one another in, in a more responsible, in a more civil, in a more humane way. Our condolences once again to, to you and your family. Um, what you've gone through is, is something that no family should go through. Um, we really appreciate your time. Judge Salas, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me on, Mr. Acosta. Case of the attempted murder of a black FedEx driver by two White men declared a mistrial. The driver joins me next to react to this stunning moment in court that's coming up in just a few moments. Stay with us. Tonight, a mistrial declared in the case against Gregory and Brandon Case. The white father and son were accused of chasing and shooting at a black FedEx driver who was Delivering packages in Brookhaven, Mississippi last year, the judge's decision followed the defense attorney's motion for a mistrial after one of the city's police detectives acknowledged under oath that he didn't give the prosecution or the defense a taped statement from the driver, DeMontario Gibson. And with great reluctance, the court has no choice in this matter but to grant the motion for a mistrial. And joining me now is Dee Monterio Gibson, the driver at the center of this case, and his lawyer, Carlos Moore. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for being with us. Uh, what a day. Uh, I can't imagine what you're going through right now, uh, Dee Monterio. That was your mother right there reacting to the judge, granting the defense's request for a mistrial. Uh, can you put it into words how disappointed you are right now? Well, I can't exactly put it into words, but it's, uh, it's definitely disappointing and frustrating. I feel like if a lot of people understood like what we had to endure over this past year and a half, going through uh, different processes, trying to get them just like, even put in jail, they'll understand like, why I feel like it feel like a, a lifetime more than it feel like a year and a half. So, you know, it's just more stones in the road and more steps in the process now. And Dima Ontario, CNN has reached out to the Brookhaven Police Department for comment about not turning over that video. What do you want to say to the police? I mean, it, it sounds like a screw-up. Uh, it's, it's definitely a screw-up. It's not the first one that they've had dealing with my case and other cases. Um, it's just, like, due to negligence on their part, 
They, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm not gonna say it's everything was purposely done, but it's just like a lot of incompetence in that, in that police department. You know, for them to not turn over certain certain pieces of evidence, it just doesn't sit right with me. And Carlos, uh, as his attorney, are you able to tell us what this taped statement actually was? Uh, do you know why it wasn't handed over? Could this have been something that was done intentionally? Jim, I do believe it was very intentional and deliberate on the part of the detective, Fernando. Uh, this was uh, an interrogation tape, uh, interview tape at the police department of Dee Monterio when he gave his witness statement. And everyone knows those statements are always recorded. It was at the police station in the room. It was recorded and he should have given up, given over the tape. And so I believe this was dilatory, a delay tactic, because they have always been on the side of the cases, it seems. The police chief, the assistant police chief, Chris Case, was in charge at the time of this murder, uh, attempted murder. And DeMontero, you were just 24 years old when this incident happened. Uh, what, what has uh, happened to your life? How has it been impacted since then? Um, honestly, if I could just be completely honest, I feel like it took a turn for the worse because it's more stress on my life now than it was beforehand. You know, I was kind of reluctant about speaking up at first. And even though even though it is harder, like, I'm, I'm definitely going to keep keep uh, keep up the fight, though. But I deal with, like, certain things such as anxiety, depression, insomnia. Uh, just thinking about the incident more, more than I should, it just affects me negatively, mentally, more than anything. And, Carlos, are you confident that you'll get a new trial? Uh, what about uh, what about filing a lawsuit? We are confident that we will get a new trial. I've spoken with the prosecutor debates. The earliest the new trial will take place is October, but that's not promised. It may be next year and D retires in December of this year. So a new prosecutor may have to present the case sometime next year. Uh, we will file a civil lawsuit against the cases for what they've done. We will also file an obstruction of justice uh, civil suit against the city of Brookhaven. They have been just nothing but obstructionist. In this instance, uh, there was a 10 month delay in getting an indictment. This is clear as day. What these people did was wrong and they should uh, be in jail sooner than later. Prison doors is where they belong, behind prison doors. And of course, we've reached out to the police department. If they uh, want to come on, we'll talk to them about it. But in the meantime, DeMontario Gibson, uh, Carlos Moore, I hope you get justice. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. All right. Uh, And just in uh, to CNN, a big resignation from Maui's emergency management agency days after the deadliest U.S. wildfire in a century. Talk about that next. Justin, the head of Maui's emergency management agency is resigning, citing health reasons. This comes one day after he faced questions about not using sirens to warn Maui residents about the onset of the deadly wildfires. Wildfires have ravaged the Hawaiian island for 10 days, marking the deadliest U.S. wildfire in more than 100 years. Thanks for watching. Our coverage continues next. I'm Jim Acosta. Have a good night. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta. 
host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.